Praise the Lord. I want to spend a little bit of time looking at the sanctity of life this morning from Scripture. And we'll begin our reading, we'll be reading different passages, but beginning in, in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. But let's bow our heads together as we ask for God's help in this part in time. Lord, we're thankful that in the midst of all the perplexities and the problems that we may experience, that we have one to go to who can meet, does meet our needs. You can. You've done it. You can still. We thank you. Once again, we need your divine help in this part of the service. I pray that you would give us that anointing that is needed, both to the speaker as well as to the hearer. Anoint my lips and my mind. In my weakness, may you be made strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Much of our lives comes down to value. How much does it, how much does it mean to us? How valuable is it to us? And it's really only valuable based on what it is that specifically makes it valuable. If any of you have been listening to Solomon Schaefer this week at God's Bible School, you probably would have heard him tell the story I found a little bit interesting because of the preparation for this particular service. Him telling the story about a gun that he has that's a, a family heirloom, and it's been passed down from generation, I think, to generation, and there's quite a story that goes with it. It was taken, it was confiscated, it was locked up in, um, locked up in the sheriff's department, I think, for a while because of all the history that's around that gun. He said it doesn't, he doesn't shoot it, he's afraid to shoot it. It doesn't have any value to it, really other than the value that is placed on it because of the family heirloom situation. If somebody were to offer him, and he went through a whole bunch of figures, and he got all the way up to a million dollars, if he said, if anybody offered me a million dollars, I would not sell it. Because he is bound by an agreement that he signed saying that he will not sell it, but it will be passed on to another suitable person who will also agree to that same condition in agreement with that gun. Valueless to anybody else, but because of the family value. I have an imperial trumpet downstairs in my study. It was given to me directly from Grandpa Neff. None of my, ever, none of my kids ever knew Grandpa Neff. He, was, he died. He was killed in a car accident when I was 15 years of age. So none of them saw the labor of his hands. They didn't sit at his knees as he shaved cheese off of a block and shared it with his grandkids, specifically me. I always like to sit at his knee and take that sharp cheddar cheese as he shaved it off the block, and he was telling stories. My kids never rode with him on his, his old hand-clutch tricycle tractor. My kids never felt the belt laid upon them. Because uh, they released the brake and coasted it down off the hill. And the only way to start it carefully and easily was to coast it and pop the clutch. You had to crank it if it was not on the hill. And I coasted it down, making it hard for his arthritic arms and hands to get it started. He wasn't happy with me that day. 
My kids never saw his big hands. They never saw his twisted and crooked fingers. So the value that is placed on that instrument goes down the moment that I'm gone. It's not very valuable at all. I don't think you could put it on the market and get $100 out of it. The moment I'm gone, the value of it even goes further down because my kids don't have any connection really with Grandpa Neff. My most recent acquisition are the very knives that Grandpa used to cut meat. Grandpa was not a a butcher. He was a meat processor. Ronnie's saying amen to that. He doesn't like the word butcher. Don't go to work to butcher. You go to work to cut meat. The very knives that Grandpa used to cut meat and the steel with which he sharpened those knives, I I came uh, into ownership of them. I took them out of the box, and I knew immediately, knew immediately what they were. I sharpened those knives to a razor edge to where they could shave the hair right off of my arm. I used them once this past fall in cutting up some deer meat, and I didn't like how they felt. They didn't feel as good in my hands as my own knives do. So really, the only time that I will ever use those knives going forward is if I am getting a little bit nostalgic. They're just going to lay there in the tub. Once in a while, I may get them out and hold them and look at them, but I probably will not use them. If at all, it'll be very little. But I know that my grandpa's fingerprints are on those knives and that steel. I know it because I've seen his hands on those knives. I've watched him cut meat with those knives. But my kids never saw grandpa use the meat cutting instruments. And the moment that I'm gone, the value goes down. How valuable to you is human life? I know for the most part that uh, here at uh, Wiseball Community Church, we hold the life of an unborn child, an unborn baby, and the life of the elderly with great value. I understand that that's common among us. But why? Why do we hold that passion or that feeling? Is it just because it's ingrained in our DNA? If it's ingrained in our DNA, why is it ingrained in our DNA? Why do we hold to that within ourselves? I think that we need to understand that it comes from the biblical contribution to our DNA. The biblical contribution to our DNA. Value is placed the moment God created man. And that takes us to Genesis chapter number 1, verse 27, as well as the seventh verse of the second chapter. So God created man in his own image. God created man in his own... There he is, placing value on the life of humanity. From then on, God places his image. He stamps his image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Verse number 7 of the second chapter, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God didn't breathe into the nostrils of any other creature. 
God didn't stamp his image on any other creature. God created man in his image. Man was the only part of creation that held that distinction. And then man became a living soul. And to simplify that maybe into a little bit of different wording, we can understand that man became an eternal being. No other creature became an eternal being. But man breathed into, God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became an eternal being. That's value. God places value right then and there. But then, now we come in our culture, and in our day, the biggest aspect of the argument comes down to what is considered the beginning of life. Does life begin at birth when the first breath is taken? Does life begin with the first feeling of movement by the mother? Maybe the, the hearing of the heartbeat. And what a powerful sound that is, especially to new mothers and fathers when they hear that heartbeat for the first time. I remember. I think I cried. And you would say, oh, surely not. I believe I did. It's a powerful sound to hear that baby's heartbeat for the first time. Is that when life begins? Let's take a look into the Scriptures again and see if we can find anything there that would tell us about the reality of life beginning. And in Psalm 139, we've already looked at Psalm 139. But verse number 13, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. You getting a feel yet of what he's talking about and the value that he places on this unborn baby? Verse number 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, still within the confines of the womb, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, even yet unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy, thy thoughts unto me, O God. And how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. That sounds like God's fully aware of the unseen before the feeling of the kick and before the hearing of the heart, before the reality of that child, when that, when that child is still unknown to even mother and father, God sees the unformedness of that child and he has his hand enfolding it. He knows. It's a new life. Isaiah 44, 2, Thus saith the Lord that made thee, and formed thee in from the womb. In verse 21, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Verse 24, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I set you apart. 
Did you get what Jeremiah recorded there? Did you, did you hear the little shift? Jeremiah records, before I formed thee, and he's speaking, working here in the place of God, writing these words. He said, before I formed thee in the, before I, before. Did you catch the word before? What is the word before? Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. When does life begin? Sounds to me as though that life begins at the point of conception. You see, we find God's fingerprint has been printed on on an individual even at that point of conception. Life becomes valuable when we can know and understand that his fingerprints. Did you hear what I said earlier? My grandpa's fingerprints are on those knives. That's why they're valuable to me. We can see that God's fingerprints have been printed on an individual at conception. Life becomes valuable when we know, when we can understand that his fingerprints are on the unborn even at the point of conception. Let me quickly give you a story that a Nazarene pastor gave 10 years ago on Sanctity of Life Sunday. I want to share something with you, he said, to his congregation. One of my seven sisters had an abortion as a teenager. In high school, she was very vocal and adamant that sexual purity until marriage. Did you hear me? In high school, she was very vocal and adamant about sexual purity until marriage. Eventually, she started to date a non-Christian who had other thoughts. One thing led to another, and she became pregnant. That ended his interest in her, except for one last demand, get rid of it. Ashamed, she told no one. Eventually ended up in an abortion clinic where she was treated as a hardship case because of her inability to pay. She was all alone. Boyfriend gone. For decades, she dealt with overwhelming depression. Even though she had confessed the sin to the Lord and had asked for forgiveness, she was still continually haunted with thoughts about the baby. She was sure it was a boy, although there was no way of knowing Her mind kept careful track. How old would he be now? What color would his eyes have been? Would would he have had freckles? Would his teeth be straight? And on and on. He said, I believe she was harassed by demons, hearing a baby cry in the middle of the night even though no baby was there, believing that she never deserved to be happy again, punishing herself by never getting close to another man again. This went on for decades. About five years ago, so in 2014, five years before that, she found the courage to stand before a congregation of family, friends, and fellow Christians and confess this sin that had been plaguing her for so long. It has been a long healing process with the prayers and support of her family and friends, and we can now see true joy in her face, but without Jesus and the body of Christ, she would have suffered the rest of her life and probably committed suicide. I read you that story for two reasons. 
One, to let you know that there are people out there that are having abortions and their heart is being broken. They may not acknowledge it. They may not uh, tell you about it. But it does something when they take the life of that unborn. Why? Because God didn't intend for it to happen. And I read that story for a second point, and that is that when we come in contact with somebody who has had an abortion, let's enfold them with the love of Christ. Let's love them with God's love, knowing that God forgives even that sin. I mentioned earlier that abortions have been reduced to essentially a zero in the state of Indiana. It seems as though the statistics are showing that there's an increase in abortions within the United States. What I want us to take out of here this morning is that may God give us strength and courage to stand against the killings of the innocents. The unborns that are represented here represented here within the congregation today, as well as represented here within uh, the family members, those that have been here a part of family. We have single babies, we have twins, we have triplets. Real lives, real lives, every one of them. Real blessings. The psalmist said in Psalm 127, 3, children are an heritage of the Lord, a blessing. But let me tell you, it's not just about the warm and the fuzzies that they bring to us. And they do. All of us. But it's about the fingerprint. It's about the image of the divine that gives each one personal value. To their lives, not just those that are connected to us, but every unborn baby. May God give us courage, may God give us strength to stand for life. Let's stand together. I thought I had a clip saved somewhere on my phone of Natalie's first heartbeat that I heard, and I wanted to play it this morning, and I don't know where I've put it. I don't know where it is. Uh, maybe it's disappeared off of my phone. Sometimes the settings, they fall away. I don't know. It's not where I thought it was. Sometimes people think that maybe I'm a little too passionate about this. I talked to a fellow holiness pastor this week, asked him if he was preaching on the sanctity of life. And in all the 29 years of his pastoring, I believe he said that he's never preached on it once. I hope you don't get tired of me preaching on it. I don't do it every single year, but I know that I did last year. But I think it's very, very important for us to hold and to be reminded I remember the first time that I preached on it, Wilma, Wilma Albright came to me and said, thank you for preaching this message. Maybe that's what fueled me to continue. Folks, it's important that we hold and we're strong and courageous in this fight.
started the service off by talking about Ronald Reagan. He was strong, he was emphatic, and his wife would not fight him on the subject while he was in office. But we've learned since his demise, since his death, that she was opposed taking away the choice from a woman. If it was a woman's choice to choose, it'd be different. But it's the life of an unborn baby. God's fingerprint, God's image. God gives value. Thank you for your attendance and attention this morning. Trust the Lord will bless you. We'll be back again tonight, evening service, regular time. Let's be asking the Lord to help us and be with us. Praise God. So good to be in God's house and worship together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Brian, would you dismiss us in prayer?